All right, how we doing, Elevate? We doing good? Yeah. That's what I like to hear. Hey, look at the person sitting next to you and tell them it's going to be a good day. Yeah, yeah, you know it is. They get to sit by you, so they're blessed. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews. I'm one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I'm so glad that you are joining us today. We're wrapping up a series we've been in now for three weeks called Mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, how to deal with uh, people who suck the life out of you. But mosquitoes, I know that you know uh, what a mosquito is. Mosquitoes are insects that really know how to irritate us. They're, they're bugs that really know how to, uh, to bother us, but I'm really thankful that there have been all sorts of inventions and advances when it comes to really getting those things away from us. And I know that uh, some of y'all know what this kind of stuff is. How many of y'all know what this is right here? I mean, I mean, anybody ever use this? This is that off, right? This is uh, the stuff that smells a little, a little better. You know what I mean? You can use this on your kids. You know, it smells just like citronella. Citronella, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so, uh, so that you don't smell bad, so you don't smell bad, right? Uh, you can use this and it'll keep the, keep the mosquitoes away for, from you. But then there's something else. If you're really trying to keep those things away from you, uh, how many of y'all ever seen something like this? This is off too, but this is off deep woods. You know what I mean? Anybody use the deep woods before? This is the spray that's supposed to keep, get rid of, uh, uh, mosquitoes that have the Zika virus. I don't know who this Din, Dinju guy is or whatever, somebody else. But then even the West Nile virus, you know what I'm saying? This will keep those bugs away from you. And it's advertised as allowing you to enjoy the outdoors uninterrupted. Now, I don't know about you guys, but It'd be good not just to enjoy the outdoors uninterrupted, but how about life uninterrupted? You know what I'm saying? But we got mosquitoes, right? When I'm not talking about like insects that bother us, I'm talking about people that know how to irritate us and people who know how to bother us. And so if we were all really honest this morning, we'd have to admit that there's some people in our lives that we'd like to just go up to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you don't know you're that person, everybody's trying to shoo away from you. I mean, that's how, that's how it is. We've, we've all got people, again, who just seem to suck the life out of us. And so what we've been talking about in this series is how do we deal with those folks who just seem to, again, suck the life out of us. We started this series out by talking about controlling people, how there are people in our lives who really do try to control us. How do we love them? How do we respond to them? Well, then the next week, last week, we talked about people who were critical. How do we deal with the critical people in our life? Maybe you've got somebody like that in your life. They're known as a, a Debbie Downer. They're just always criticizing or a negative Nate. They're always got something negative to say about everything. I mean, those people, again, they exist. Well, today, as we wrap up the series, I want to talk to you about how do you deal with the clingy people in your life, the clingy people in your life. So controlling people, critical people, and clingy people in your life. What is a clingy person? I'm talking about the overly needy people in your life. The truth is we all have some people in our life that we care about. We really do, but it always seems like they always need a little more then we're able to give them. There's a, a spiritual principle that I've been told before that says that in every family, in every group, in every environment, there's at least 
one. I'm pretty sure the Bible even says that where two or three are gathered, there's always one overly needy person in, their, in the group, right? We say, where does it say that? First opinion, chapter three. That's where it says that, okay? But I mean, those people are out there. How many of y'all know somebody who's like that, just overly needy? Raise your hand, keep your hand up if you know somebody like that. Uh, if you've got your hand up, look around at the people who don't have their hand up and say, there's always at least one person, right? Who, who's always overly needy. They're, 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 they're out there. They exist. They really do. And so how in the world do we love and care for those who are hurting in our life, but they're always in need of a little extra attention? Or how do we, how do we really help those individuals that we love, but uh, every time, every time we see them, we know that the conversation is going to take a little longer to have. How do, we, how do we really love that person and talk to that person and deal with that person who every time we talk to them, it seems like they're the victim of something. And so when you do something for them out of the kindness of your heart, it just never seems to be enough. You give and they always seem to want more. It could be a relative uh, who you love. It could be a, a friend who you love that's always in need of some financial uh, assistance. It, 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 could be, it, it could be, you know, somebody in your life that's always fishing for compliments. They're always wanting you to affirm them. How do you think I did on this? What do you think about this? Well, how did I, I do? They're always needing more. It could be somebody that's always on the, on the struggle bus. You know what I'm saying? You get around them and uh, your spirits are high. You know what I mean? You're having a good day and your spirits are real high. But then when you get around them, when you leave, you're like, anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Some people like that. Again, as followers of Christ, we know we're supposed to love those people. We know we are. But how do we always, how do we, how do we, how do we do it with that person again who always seems to need a little bit more? Because then a lot of times what will happen for us is we'll back away, right? We'll back away, we'll pull back, and what does that person do? They make you feel guilty as if you abandoned them, as if you left them stranded. And so again, how do we, how do we love that person? How do we help that person in a way that actually helps them and not hurts them? Because if we help them in the wrong way, the truth is that it can hurt them. And it can hurt us, and it can hurt our relationship that we have with them. So how do we help them in a way that honors God, again, and does truly help them? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to do it by talking about three things. I want to give you three things to consider. If you're keeping notes, you want to write them down. The first thing that I want you to understand is this. When we give, we give strategically. When we give, we give strategically. The problem with so many of us in this room is that we don't give strategically. We give emotionally, right? Because we care when we see a need, we just instinctively, we just, we react. And so we, we try to meet that need. We try to do what's easy, what's convenient. And oftentimes when we help, we're just doing something to kind of make ourselves feel better, or we're doing something that will kind of help relieve some of the guilt that we might be having about the person's situation. But instead of giving emotionally, we've got to give strategically. Instead of giving emotionally, we ask questions like, what will really help this person that's in this need? What is really going to help them long term? Not just what's going to meet their need now, but what is going to help them in the long run. And so this type of giving, again, it's not emotional. It's more prayerful. It's strategic. 
And so Peter and John in the book of Acts, they did this in an amazing way that I want you to, to see this morning. See, uh, they were walking by the temple gate one day, and as they were walking by, there was this man who was lame, this man who couldn't walk. He was born that way. And so every day, some of his friends would carry him to the temple gate, maybe his friends, maybe his family, we don't really know, but every day, people would take him there to the temple gate, they would drop him off so that he could beg for money. And what happened a lot of times was a lot of people would walk by and they would give him exactly what it was that he wanted. They would give him money. But I want you to see the story. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Verse 2, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple court. So you see that every day this man is begging. How many of y'all got somebody in your life who, again, it seems like every day they're in need. Every day they need you to come to their rescue. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Somebody like that. They're always looking to you to help them. Verse 3 says, when Peter saw, when Peter and John were about to, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Again, what's he asking for? money. He's asking for money. Uh, can you give me some loose change? And so watch what happens in verse four. Peter looks straight at him as did, as did John. Now I need to stop because again, this is like breaking one of the major rules that you're not supposed to do when you see somebody who's begging or somebody who's asking for money, right? Everybody knows when you see somebody doing it, what you're not supposed to look at them, right? You just keep your eyes looking forward, right? Or you act like you didn't see him. Man, it's such a beautiful day. God's blessed us with, oh, I would have helped you if I'd have saw you, but I was distracted by God's beauty. Everybody knows. Again, you're not supposed to look. Why? Because if you look, what? You have to help. Well, Peter and John looked straight at him. And this wasn't like one of those quick glances. You know what I'm saying? They're looking straight at him. And so look at what happens. Then Peter said, Look at us! You notice that exclamation point? This is a really awkward, awkward uh, encounter. I can only imagine. I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't have the courage when I see somebody that has a sign uh, held up saying, hey, you know, I'm looking for some money, I'm looking for some food. I don't have the courage to walk up to them and say, look at me! You know what I mean? But that's exactly what Peter and John do. They're like, look at us! Look at us! All right, and so watch what happens here. Verse 5, it says, so the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Again, this man had done this every day. Every day. This man knew the human pattern of uh, human behavior. You know what I'm saying? The pattern of human behavior. He knew that, hey, you know what? If I can get people's attention, they're going to be more likely to give to me. He knew that if he could just get people to listen to his story, they were going to be more likely to give to him. Maybe not everybody was going to give, but eventually somebody was going to come along who would give. They would respond emotionally, and maybe they would give him something to kind of to kind of alleviate some of their guilt, make them feel better. But he would. They somebody would eventually come along that was going to give him what he was asking for. But here's the deal: what he was asking for wasn't what he really needed. And the problem with us is a lot of times. We're guilty of giving people what they're asking for and not what they really, really, really need. We give people what's easier for us to give. I mean, think about this guy. What's he asking for? He's asking for money, right? He's asking for money. What would have been the easiest thing to give him? 
The easiest thing to give him would have been money. Here you go. That's what a lot of us would have done. We would have tossed him a, a, a little loose chain so that we would have felt better about ourselves and we would have gone on our way. But Peter and John didn't respond that way. They, they didn't respond emotionally. Peter and John were being led by God's Holy Spirit and they didn't give the guy what he wanted. Instead, they gave him what he really, really, really needed. That's what they do. I want you to see this. Verse 6. Check it out. The Bible says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Peter helps him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Do you see what Peter did right there? Instead of, instead of Peter giving this man a hand out, what Peter actually does is miraculously give this man a hand up. See, folks, it's easy for you and I to give a, a hand out. But what takes more time, what takes more faith, what takes more prayer, what takes more effort, what takes more sacrifice is for you and I to not just give somebody a hand out, but to actually give them a hand up, which is what they need. Giving a hand out again is easy and it makes us feel good, but it's not always the right thing. We've got to give people a hand up and point them back to God and to Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. Peter and John said, gold and silver I don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Again, there are some people in your life where you need to prayerfully consider, hey, you know what? I can't give you what you're asking for, but God's got something even better than what you're asking for. He wants to do over and above anything that you can hope, ask for, or think. And so we want to make sure that we give you what God wants and not necessarily what you're asking for. Because, come on, let's just be honest. You know, if you love somebody, you don't always give them what they're asking for. Am I right? You know, when you, when you love somebody, you don't just give them, give them everything that they're asking for. Like Lawson Cruz, my son, he's two years old. You know what he's always asking for? Literally, every day, it's the same thing. I want car. 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 Like he likes cars. Like he likes to sit behind the steering wheel. Like so he, likes to turn, he likes to turn the steering wheel. He wants car. He wants car. How, how dumb would it be of me as his father to say, well, son, if that's what you want, Here's the keys to a 1993 Ford Mustang Cobra. Praise the Lord. I want you to go out and enjoy it. Would that, would that, be, would that be smart on my part? No, that wouldn't be smart. Lawson doesn't need a car. He needs a diaper change, right? If I gave him a car, that's not what he... He wouldn't be ready for something like that. That's something that can actually hurt him. Again, sometimes instead of just giving people what they're asking for, we prayerfully say, hey, you know what, God, you lead me. And show me what this person actually needs. Again, it's easy. It's easy for you and I to do what's easy and convenient. But what takes more time, more prayer, more sacrifice, again, is that we say, Hey, God, you show me what's really going to help right here. You show me what's really going to help. We don't just give handouts. We give hand ups because we want to point others back to God and his goodness, right? So we give strategically. The second thing that I want you to see, if you're keeping notes, you want to write it down. Not only do we give strategically, but we serve wisely. We serve wisely. If you study the life of Jesus Christ, what you're going to understand is that Jesus deeply cared for people. 
He really did. You can't, you can't help but look at the scriptures and see that he served selfishly, that he taught faithfully, that he gave generously. Again, he did all sorts of things because he loved people genuinely, okay? He served, he served. But you know what else he would do? Is that after he would do all of those things, after he would do all of those things, he would step aside, he would step aside to get along with God so that he could be filled again. That's what, he would, that's what he would do so that he could re, recharge, so that he could recharge. Then once he had recharged, he would go out again and faithfully serve. He would faithfully serve. That's his pattern of behavior over and over and over again in the scriptures. He would pour himself out and be filled again. Pour himself out, be filled again. Pour himself out, be filled again. Don't miss this. Who was Jesus? He's the precious son of God. Jesus Christ is the only perfect individual who was, and is, who was and is. He's the only perfect person ever to live. And if he needed to get along to fill up with God, you and I need to do the same exact thing. We really do. If Jesus did that, we've got to follow his example. I'm telling you, in order for you to continue to pour yourself out, there has to be a moment. There have to be moments where you stop and allow yourself to be filled back up Again, how many of you, how many of you uh, have ever driven a car before? How many of y'all have ever properly driven a car before? I know some of y'all don't know how to drive because I've been on the road scared for my life, right? Uh, but what about this? How many of y'all have ever run out of gas while you were driving, right? You ran out of gas while you were driving? Uh, literally, there's somebody in this room. I can't see them because the lights are bright, but I had to go and help them out on the side of the interstate. They didn't have any gas in their car. You know what I'm saying? So it happens. What about this? Uh, how many How many y'all, uh, in my truck at least, in my truck I've got like the, the, the gauge, the little needle deal, you know what I'm saying, the gas needle, but then there's also a digital readout that says, hey, you've got X amount of miles before you run out of gas. Anybody else, you've got that? you got that? Okay. So how many of y'all would just be honest and say that you've drove, you've driven that thing past the time it said you had zero miles still empty, right? I do it. Why? Because in the words of the great theologian Aerosmith, I like living on the edge, man. It's a thrill. I love it. That thing will say zero, and I'm like, you a lie. The devil is a lie, and I'll keep on going, right? Make it to the gas station, praise the Lord, right? Man, my mom really was at the first service. My mom freaks out if she gets like to 150 miles to empty. She's like, I got, I'm about out of gas. I got to gas up. I'm like, 150 miles, see, I got gas for the rest of the week. That's what I'm thinking, you know what I'm saying, man? But she freaks out, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you drive your car, if you drive your car past zero, okay, zero miles, you might go for a little while. But eventually, you're really going to run out. All the fumes in that tank, man, they're, they're going to they're gonna be gone. Eventually, if you want to keep on going, you've got to feel back up. And it's the same way in your spiritual life. Jesus understood that. And so Jesus took time to refuel. I want you to see this in Mark chapter 1 verse 35. Look at what Jesus did. The Bible says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Right? He did. Then look at verse 36. The Bible says Simon and his companions went to look for him. Now let me stop. Does anybody know what that's like where you really try to have a moment of serenity, just a moment alone, and then it seems like everybody's coming to look at you or look for you? Man, 
Man, Amanda, my wife, she knows how this is. She'll go to the restroom, shut the door and lock it, just hoping for just a few seconds of quiet. You know what I'm saying? And pretty soon there's going to be a, a voice. Where are you? Where are you? And so Amanda, she'll try not to breathe in there, you know, because she doesn't want them to, you don't want nobody to know. She's, so she's trying not to breathe or whatever. So pretty soon there'll be a bang on the door. Are you in there? Where are you? And if she still doesn't answer, then fingers come up from underneath the door. And that's just me when I'm looking for her. Where are you? I need you. These kids are bothering me. Come and help, right? That's how I am. Pray for me. Again, you ever feel like that, though? Like somebody always needs you. And it's exhausting. It is. What happens when you're on an airplane? What do they tell you? Like if you need oxygen, if the, if the plane loses altitude and you need oxygen, what happens is those oxygen masks will fall from the overhead uh, compartment or whatever. What are you supposed to do first? Put yours on first. You put yours on first. You put yours on first. Then you choose which kid you want to save next. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to teach you not to wake me up anymore. You know what I'm saying? That's, right? But why do you put yours on first? Because if you're not breathing, you can't help somebody else. Right? Right? You, you, well, the truth of the matter is you, your spiritual life is just like breathing. We're supposed to breathe in and breathe out. We breathe in through God's holy word. We breathe in through prayer. We breathe in through worship. But we breathe out by serving. We breathe out by serving. If all you ever do is breathe in, you will die. If all you ever do is breathe out, you will die. God wants you to do both. You breathe in and you breathe out. We're not just hearers of the word, breathing in. We are doers of the word, breathing out. Here's the deal, folks. Sometimes we just feel like we've got to do everything that everybody asks us to do. You ever, you ever felt like that? I'm here to tell somebody this morning, it's okay to say no sometimes. It is. I think somebody needs to hear that. It's okay to say no sometimes. In fact, and I don't want you to miss this, but you can't say yes often unless you say no occasionally. You can't say yes often unless you say no occasionally. Again, folks, Jesus served, but he served wisely. He didn't do everything that everybody asked him to do. He knew what his role was. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to bring God's kingdom to earth. He came to serve. And when he served, he served wisely. But when he emptied himself, he always took time to be filled again. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 16. The Bible says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That verse where it says lonely places, it's not talking about Jesus going to depressing places. It's talking about, again, he just got alone to where it was just him and the Father and so that he could be filled again. And it says that he often did it. This means that this was a consistent habit of his. This was something that he did very regularly. I'm telling you, you can't truly serve somebody when you're empty. You can't. So we give strategically. We serve wisely. And the third thing that I want you to see this morning is that we trust completely. We trust completely. 
We say, God, I'm going to do what it is that you're leading me to do. I'm going to do what it is that you're leading me to do, and I'm going to trust you with the results because, God, you are always faithful. You lead me, and I will do what you prompt me to do, but, God, no matter what it is that we do, we're trusting the results up to you. Here's the problem. It's really insulting, and it's even dangerous for me to think that I am somebody else's answer. It's really insulting and it's really dangerous for me to feel like I am the source that meets somebody else's needs. It's dishonoring to God to say that we are necessary to meet every need that some person has. Because the truth of the matter is, I'm not the answer. You are not the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. Is there anybody in here that believes that this morning? That Jesus is the answer for all the problems that anybody will ever face. Jesus is the answer. It's true that God works through people. We are the conduit, but He is the power. The problem is, if you think God needs you to fix every problem somebody has, then your God is way too small. If you think you're necessary to fix every need, you might actually be messing up God's plan for somebody's person, but for, for God's plan for somebody else, because you keep rescuing them. They can't go through the natural consequences that God wants them to endure. See, Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. What does that mean? A man reaps what he sows. In other words, a man gets back what it is that he plants. And he says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Then he says, whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. See, folks, sometimes it takes hard times to get somebody to open up their eyes. You know that? Sometimes it actually takes somebody hitting rock bottom for them to come to their senses. And sometimes in my life when I have helped certain people with certain things, I've wondered if I might have actually hurt them because I'm interfering with what it is that God wants to teach them. And I know that that might sound cruel. That might seem harsh. But think about the story of the prodigal son. It's in Luke chapter 15. What happened was a father had two children, two sons, two sons. And one of the sons went to the father and said, Dad, I really, I, I want what's coming to me when you die. He basically told his father, I wish you were dead right now. Give me what I've got coming to me and I'm never coming back. I'm leaving this place. I'm leaving you. And I don't know what the father was thinking, but he gives his son what he asked for. I'd have popped my kid in the mouth. Right? I'd have been in trouble. But the father gives his son his share of the inheritance. And the son takes it. And he wastes it. He parties and he parties hard. He dishonors every value that his father had. He goes out and he lives sinful. He's smoking that stuff. He's snorting that stuff. I don't know for sure. For sure what the Bible just describes it as wild living. I just know wild living is not about going camping. It's not about using off deep woods for real. It's about sinful living. He wastes it. He squanders it. And every day, the father would watch for his son to come home. 
Every day, the father probably hoped that his son would come home. Every day, the father prayed, probably, that his son would come home. But you know what the father never did? The father never went out and rescued the son. He didn't. He loved his son enough to allow his son to end up in the pig pen. And folks, he got so bad for that son wallowing around in the pig pen that he longed to eat the pig slop. He longed to eat what the pigs were eating. Y'all ever seen pig slop? It looks like vomit. I've been hungry before, but I ain't never seen somebody throw up and been so hungry and be like, ooh, I want some of that right there. Where'd you get that at? That ain't happened. Never happened. It got really bad for the son, but the father never went out and rescued him. And because the father didn't go out and rescue him, the son finally had a moment while he was wallowing around in the pig pen. The son finally had a moment that the, the Bible describes as him coming to his senses. His sinful decisions took him to a place that made him realize that even his father's servants had it better than what he had. He thought, maybe I'll go back and I'll apologize. I know my father won't take me back as a son, but maybe he'll accept me as a servant. I'm telling you, this son knew he messed up. And he came to a census. But again, the father loved the son enough to let the God-given consequences actually play out in his life so that that son could actually have a moment where he came to his senses. Listen to me, people. Constantly rescuing someone is not really helping someone. Constantly rescuing someone is not really helping someone. Parents, listen to me. Mom, dad, if you're always going to rescue your child for, from all the problems and trouble that they get themselves into, you're not helping your kid. What you're doing is you're teaching your child that they don't have to deal with the consequences of life. Mother, if your kid is always late to work and you're their alarm clock that wakes them up and they're still late, they might need to lose their job so that they'll actually learn to get up and be responsible on their own. If there's any parents in here and you're paying for your child's college and they're not going to school and all they're doing is going out and partying and living life, you might need to pull that financial support to teach them that there are consequences to that type of behavior. If somebody in your life is constantly charging up debt and you see them on Facebook going on all these vacations and they're always shopping, they got the new Apple Watch and they got the new iPhone, but they can't pay their rent, you know what the best way to teach them to pay their rent is? Is to teach them that they didn't need that Apple Watch and iPhone in the first place, right? There are consequences to our actions and I know it sounds cruel but it's not it's actually very loving it is sometimes you have to let people sometimes you have to let people experience the consequences of their choices always rescuing someone is not helping them my mom didn't always rescue me when I made poor choices she didn't my mom didn't rescue me when I got in trouble. 
she let me walk through the consequences. She loved me still, but she let me walk through those consequences. She loved me enough not to rescue me from my bad decisions. So how do we really help the people in our life who are needy? How do we do it? We give strategically. We serve wisely. We trust completely. And when we help, what I hope that you'll always do is always help from a posture of humility and never from a posture of arrogance. Never thinking something along the lines of, yeah, that person needs me. They can't make it without me. Yep, I'm here to save the day again. I hope you'll never have that type of attitude. See, I'm wrapping up, but the reason why that I hope you'll never have a posture of arrogance when it comes to helping people is because the truth is all of us are needy. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. It doesn't matter if you have a little or if you have a lot. We are all in need. We are all mutually broken sinners. David, King David, in the Bible is known as a man after God's own heart. And in Psalm 40, verse 17, I want you to see what he says. He says this, But as for me, this king, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. So when we help people, we don't help people from a posture of arrogance as if we're their savior. That's not what we do. We help in a way that points others back to their real help. God, their deliverer, their savior. When you and I help, we give a hand up to point people back to Jesus who is the author and perfecter of their faith, who is the source and provider of everything that they actually need. We point people back to Christ. And when we help, we trust God completely with the results. If he's going to accomplish what it is that he wants to accomplish, we're equally broken, we're equally needed, And so when we help, we help from a posture of love because that's how we help people up. That's how we point people back to Jesus. That's how we make Jesus known is by our love. So when the world looks at us, they're not going to believe that we're followers of Christ because of our theology. They're not going to believe that we're followers of Christ because of the style of music that we sing. They're not going to believe that we're followers of Christ by where we live or where we went to school. The world will know that we're followers of Christ by the way we love one another. By the way that we love. The best witness that we have is always love. We're driven by love. We're driven by our love for God that makes it impossible for us not to love other people. Again, we give strategically. We serve wisely, and we trust completely. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life, but I wonder today if maybe you're here, and as you've listened to the message, you thought about that person in your life that you're always helping. And you kind of like coming to their rescue. You like for them to think that they really need you. Oh, they can't make it without me. 
You might have even said something like that in your mind. I'm telling you, that's the wrong attitude to have. We're all needy. And so if that's you, you've had that attitude. It's time to repent. Father, we're sorry for sometimes thinking that we are someone else's answer, for feeling like we're who they need. God, the truth is you are who all of us need. And so I pray that we'll always point others back to you. Forgive us again for trying to make ourselves somebody else's God. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I also wonder today, maybe you came in today and you've made a mess of your life. Maybe you've been wallowing around in the pig pen just like that son in Luke chapter 15. Today I want you to know that Jesus is in this room and he wants to give you a hand up. He wants to point you back to a loving father, a loving God who will forgive you for all the sins that you've committed, who will embrace you and make you into a new person. It's Jesus that's really going to make the difference in your life. So if you're here today and you know you want to accept Christ, you know you want to be saved right where you are, I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer. Father, forgive me for all of my sins. Forgive me for living for myself. Forgive me for living for the world. Father, I pray that right now you would save me. She would mold me into a new person. Not a better version of the old me, but a completely new person. Father, today I confess you as Lord and I confess you as Savior. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me so that others know that I'm yours because my life is different. When I walk out of these doors, may I never be the same because of this moment. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but I wonder today if there's somebody in the room that prayed to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, if you'd do me a favor, would you just raise your hand so that I can know the Spirit's moving? Amen. Amen. We pray to be saved today. Amen. Father, we are thankful that you're a loving God. Father, you want to meet all of our needs. It might not be the things that we want, Father, but you'll truly meet our needs, what it is that we actually need. So I'm thankful today. Father, I'm thankful that you've met the needs of those who needed to give their heart and life to you. Father, I'm thankful today that you've met my needs. And I just want to give you all the glory and all the honor because you really are good. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.